Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. My name's Neil Headley. I was prepared to write off a literal lifelong battle with insomnia as just being one of the risks of the job when I took on a 30-year career in morning television and radio. Well, I dug a little bit deeper and it turned out that I've got a lot more to learn. So in this series, we're gonna fix your sleep. Yeah, by figuring out why mine is so horribly broken and maybe you and I can stumble upon some answers together. We're going to be talking to neuroscientists and sleep researchers in this series from all over the world. We're going to be talking to celebrities and high achievers who have sleep challenges built into their day-to-day -day experience and figure out how they made it through their big, potentially sleepless night to be able to perform at the top of their game the next day. We'll get into all of that coming up in just a little bit. First, before we get to any of that, we've got this week's Veditorial. I want to tell you about this week's episode. I've never had to record a preamble before, but for some reason this time around I felt like I should. If you're new to the show, here's what's different about Season 2. In Season 1, we were filled with neuroscientists and sleep researchers from all over the world. Now, those folks are sticking around in Season 2, but we're also adding in celebrities and high achievers, many of whom have names that you will recognize. The common thread through these celebrities and high achievers is that they all had at least one really big day in their lives, maybe even a whole ton of big days. Maybe it was the Super Bowl or one of their several Super Bowls or the day their trillion dollar company went public. A couple weeks from now, our guest will tell us about being just the 10th woman in history to walk in space. A couple weeks ago, it was Shalina Kennedy talking about what it's like to have the show that you're the star of opening on Broadway. For the purposes of this show, though, I'm less interested in the big day than I am about the night before the big day, because as a lifelong lousy sleeper, I am fascinated by the people who can overcome the jitters and the busy minds that would easily have kept me awake all night. I want to find out what they did to fall asleep the night before their big day, try the thing myself to see if it works. So I start looking for people who face some kind of incredible pressure to be on top of their game, but had to fall asleep the night before. I have this annoying habit, well, actually a lot of annoying habits, but the one that's particularly relevant here of being able to separate people from their jobs. It's why I have such a big problem with gossip columnists and paparazzi, because I think once famous people are done their work for the day, they just go back to being people and our, their lives are none of our business. As I'm fond of saying, even Tom Hanks goes to the bathroom. You know, they're just humans. As we're recording this episode, for example, the defense has just rested in the murder of George Floyd, and people are online vilifying the defense attorney, Eric Nelson, except that I look at Eric Nelson and I see a guy who's just doing his job. As much as I believe his client deserves to be convicted, he's just a guy doing a job. So this week, I'm going to challenge you to do the same. If you are incapable of seeing other people as human beings simply because they disagree with you about something that's your burden to bear and something beyond the scope of this show. But I've got a hunch that this guest has some things to say that you might find interesting, even if you disagree with what she did on her really big day. Our guest this week is Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett. She is the delegate from the Virgin Islands, but perhaps more prominently, you know her as a member of the prosecution team from the second impeachment of President Donald Trump. Now, here's what's interesting. There are three kinds of people when I say something like that. There are the ones that heard me say Trump prosecutor and can't wait to hear her talk because they hate Trump. Then there are the people who heard me say Trump prosecutor and dismiss this entire episode out of hand because what could she possibly have that was of value to say because she doesn't like Donald Trump. And in the middle, there's me and hopefully you and hopefully a ton of other people as well who see a person, a wife, a mom, a fellow human being who had an incredibly unique experience and what are what it's like to be in that position. That's what I hope to answer for you this week. 
Um, weeks before we did this interview, though, I let the congresswoman know that I don't want to talk politics. I don't want to talk policy. I don't want to talk about any of those things because to me, this isn't about politics. But what I did recognize is that there would be people who were incapable of separating the politics from the person. So you know what I did? I reached out to a whole mess of Republicans in Washington, congressmen, senators, every single one of them said no. So if you're concerned about the perception of a political slant with this week's episode, all I can tell you is that I did absolutely everything I could have, and every single Republican I went to turned down the opportunity to come on the show. I would love to have talked to Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, or as you might know him, Dr. Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, because unlike some of the wannabe doctors who parade around Washington pretending they know more about science than Dr. Anthony Fauci, Bill Cassidy is actually qualified to talk about sleep. He's an actual doctor, and in his state, 38% of the people have some kind of a sleep problem. That's higher than the national average. So even if Senator Cassidy didn't see this as a place where he could score enough political points to make a difference, I would have thought that Dr. Cassidy might have at least found this to be an interesting conversation. But on with this week's guest. So Congresswoman Plaskett, I am going to ask you the very same first question that everybody that's been on the show gets, regardless of whether you're a Broadway star or a world-class neuroscientist. And that question is this, how did you sleep last night? Uh, I'm not a great sleeper. So in, in general, not a great sleeper or just last night? In general. In general. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So we've got some digging to do here. Um, so <laughs> well, what that's happens? Well, I've been told that I don't sleep well. Oh, oh, are you in the same boat that I am where my wife, I got the elbow in the ribs and. No, I, I just don't sleep very long. Not long. So does it take you long to fall asleep? No, once I, um, once I put my head down, finally, I'm pretty gone, but I don't sleep very long. Um, I go to sleep pretty late, and uh, I'm up a couple of times, uh, and then finally just get up because I can't take it anymore, and I'm tired of pretending like I'm laying in the bed sleeping. I had the same, I, I had the very same night last night, and as much as I've talked to neuroscientists and sleep researchers and whatnot from all over the world, I still don't have answers, which is kind of the genesis of this entire project as I try to find some answers for how to sleep better. So if we talk about, well, let's let's backpedal for a second here. Um, talk to me about, I know I said uh, early on that I didn't want to get into the weeds on politics and policy and all those kinds of things, but you and I are connecting at a time when there's a lot going on on the planet. So is right. it that there are many, many things keeping you awake at night right now, like there are for me and so many others? Um, I generally, for most of my, <clears throat> the time that I can remember, have not really been a sleeper. Like, as a child, I was the, ch the, per the child that you had to make go to bed. Like, I don't wanna go to bed. Right. I don't want to miss something. I may miss something. Uh, and I have a family, a Caribbean family, which culturally wakes up very early because you want to be up before the sun is very strong. So people on the island where I live and my parents, having been raised there, are up, you know, 5 a.m. is a normal waking time. And so if I'm going to bed at 12, 1, um, and then waking up 
you know, before five, generally not probably getting the best amount of sleep. However, since I have come into this office, um, I find that I have a different kind of sleep, that it's much more strenuous while I'm asleep. Uh, I'm a terrible teeth grinder uh, and wear an apparatus to go to sleep because of that. Uh, and wear an apparatus now because I actually ground teeth to the point of them cracking. Wow. Um, and uh, that really became pronounced after 2017 when there were hurricanes on the devastated the Virgin Islands. And I found myself unable to sleep. And when I did sleep was constantly just thinking about hurrying up and sleep to get up to start the next day because there was stuff to do. So that hasn't ended really for me. There, there are new crises now in the country. Yeah, exactly. And you're kind of a hero of mine for wearing, wearing an apparatus to sleep because I can't. Um, you know, I went to a sleep lab and they tried to put, because uh, they say I have mild sleep apnea, and they tried to put one of those masks on me to sleep. And I'm like, no wonder Darth Vader was so angry in all the Star Wars movies because he constantly had that thing stuck to his face. I couldn't imagine trying to fall asleep with one of those on, and it just it did not work out. So if you found a way to navigate sleep with something well, stuck to your I, face. I put it, you know, I have to put it in my mouth. Uh, it's like a custom fit thing. Yep. And then that usually is the signal that I'm going to wake up shortly because around three o'clock, uh, I can't take it anymore and I take it out. Um, and I sleep for maybe a half an hour, an hour more, and then I'm up. So have you, and, and I don't want to dig too far into your personal medical history here, but have you been to a sleep lab before? Have you been to a sleep specialist? No. Okay, so you're a candidate. You're the person, you're exactly the kind of person that I would say, just for the heck of it, you should sleep. sit down with a sleep doctor because in my own case, I had my notions of what was causing my sleep problems or why I was such a lousy sleeper. I had the same kind of description as you. I mean, the circumstances that led to me becoming a lousy sleeper were, were much uh, darker and more horrific. But um, in, in my own case, I've been a terrible sleeper since the age of six and I thought I knew why until I went to a sleep lab and a doctor put all the electrodes on my head and made me spend a night there sleeping on what effectively is a sheet of cardboard. It's a hospital mattress. We know how comfortable those are. Um, and then once they analyzed all my stuff, they said, oh no, you've got this and this and this going on. These are why wow. you're a terrible sleeper, not whatever it was you had told yourself was making you a terrible uh -huh. sleeper. In your own case, uh, generally, let's go generally speaking for a second. What are the things that you lean on when you can't sleep and you do have to get to sleep? Uh, I read. Um, and I have, you know, a glass of bourbon. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that takes us down a whole other road. There's about three episodes on why that's a terrible idea. But um, the reading thing, you had me at reading because that's perfect. Now, Let's go back and, and so many of, of the season two episodes of this show and, and the focus of the book is going to be talking to people who, like you, have had a colossally massive day, perhaps some would even say a historic day. Uh, in their lives. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to my friend Shalina Kennedy about who, what it was like 
the night before she opened uh, on Broadway playing wow. Carol King in the Carol King musical that was on Broadway forever. Uh, in a couple more weeks, we're going to talk to Nicole Stott, an astronaut who did uh, just became only the tenth woman awesome. in history to do a spacewalk. And so we're going to talk That's about so awesome. what was that? What was that night before like? Trying to get to sleep, all those things. You had a colossally big day in history, um, mm -hmm. and of course, we all watched it unfold on. Uh, most of the news channels, except for the ones that deliberately stayed away from it. Um, talk to me about the night before, and I'm just going to say it out loud. The night before you began the second impeachment of Donald Trump, and there you are on the prosecution team, you're going to sleep the night before. Tell me how on earth that even played out, because I can't even imagine getting to sleep in those circumstances. Um, well, I, as I said, I go to sleep pretty late, um, and I had spent maybe three or maybe four hours, uh, going over my presentation, going through the theories of the case again, um, watching the news to hear what different commentators were saying about it. Um, reading memorandums and then you know around midnight deciding i really should get some sleep uh and so i do the you know i take i take great showers um with great smelling um moisture enriching you know i'm very particular about the kind of soap products and lotions and oils and shea butters that I use um, before I go to bed. Um, and rolled my hair up because I had beautiful curls that mm -hmm. night. Um, I think I may have put, I'm, I'm not really good about putting moisturizer on my face. I like do my whole body. Uh, and then put my mouth guard in and, um, you know, then turned over to my husband and moan and complain about how terrible I'm going to be the next day. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can say this in a completely non-political way, uh, you were pretty great the next day. Um, but And, and that's, and and that's how, kind of the thing, how, right? Is because you had, literally, you had the eyes of the world on you and you didn't have the option to be kind of off your game the next morning, but it right. sounds like you're in that category of people who sleep just shows up when you run out of other things to do. Am I close? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I, you know, I clean. Uh, you, know, you can always tell when I am um, have something really huge going on because I clean. Um, so I think I, I did spend time in the kitchen, like mopping, um, and even uh, windexing the glass because I wanted things to look a certain way when I woke up, you know, and have my fresh cup of coffee in it to be bright and pretty and everything very nice when I woke up that morning. Right. Um, yeah, then when I finally laid to bed and I turn over and I'm like, I'm gonna be so bad, it's gonna be so terrible. Uh, can you rub my back for me? And so, right. you know, I'm a little kid and, He's like, you're ridiculous. You've been preparing, uh, and then rubs on my back. You know, if you ever get to the White House, the whole cleaning thing is out the window because they have people that do that for you. 
I like that. That's uh, therapy. That and cooking are therapy for me. Really? What's your go-to? What's the, what's your thing you cook? Um, our Caribbean dishes. Okay. So things that I recall from childhood. Nice. You know, the oxtail. Um, you know, um, salmon, fried fish, um, stewing down salted cod fish. Um, our national dish, which is called Kalaloo, which is spinach and okras and other things, along with every kind of seafood you can imagine and smoked meats. So things that take a, you know, a whole day to cook. But then Art? I have to call uh, 10 people to come over and eat it because it's too much just for us. Nice. Does that all fall under the heading of, of comfort food for you? Or are those things you would think of cooking mm -hmm. if you've got some sleep stuff coming up? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, now, in terms of, gosh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, we talked about the getting up early uh, as being a cultural thing, and and I want to. I'm eager to get your comments on uh, a study that's out there from Dr. Dana Johnson from Emory University, who did a lot of digging into people's sleep problems and found out, and this may be news to you, it may be news to the people that are, are listening and watching us right now, um, found out that uh, the black community has, on the whole, uh, far more sleep problems than any other group. Uh, so far worse than white people, far worse than brown people, far worse than Asians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, complain about it the least out of any possible racial group as well. And what Dr. Johnson talked about, and she talked about it on this show, was the idea that terrible sleep among the black population and the never complaining about it both are products of slavery when sleep was seen through some eyes as laziness and yes. complaining about it was yes. especially seen as laziness, right? Yes. Yes, I mean, I was, I was raised, I can hear my mother saying, don't let the sun find you in bed. That being in bed while the sun was up is being lazy. That there are so many things that you could have been gotten done during the day. Yeah. Is that just another one of the signs that because your own mother said that to you is that still another one of the signs that even though people would like to point to the calendar and think that we've left those days far behind us that we've obviously still got a lot more work to do yeah i mean maybe not the getting up because you know i think that's a great thing i think you know there's stuff to do um and i i do that with my own children but maybe the part about not complaining about it you know that stuffing that stuff down is probably not a good thing. I mean, I'm tired all the time, but I would never tell people that. Um, that doesn't sound appropriate to say that you're tired. Sure, sure. Um, the Virgin Islands. What time do kids go to school in the morning in the Virgin Islands? Eight. See, because there's this whole conversation happening on a national basis now, and I'm sure you're aware of it, of the research that's all out there that talks about how if you delay school times for kids, and we're talking high school kids, um, that their grades get better, they're less likely to get into drugs and alcohol, things like that. There's a 16% reduction in teenage car accidents and all those sorts of things. There I are states, sorry? 
I can believe that. Yeah, there are states where that's getting traction and there are states that are making moves to push school start times later because it's all hormonal. I mean, there are people who would like to write that off as laziness and that teenagers are inherently lazy and addicted to TikTok and whatnot. But it's actually just that when you're a teenager and we all remember what your teenage years did to your hormones, uh, it's because of the different way your body produces melatonin, which of course is the sleep hormone, uh, when you're a teenager and it kicks in at 11 o'clock at night and it kicks in, it leaves sometime around eight or nine o'clock the next morning. And so the science says your kids should be getting out of bed at about eight o'clock instead of being at school at eight o'clock if you want to hit all these performance markers and give them the best shot at succeeding. But how hard is it for someone who does what you do for a living confronted with the science of something like that to go back and affect change? Well, you know, what would be interesting is um, I'd love to maybe talk to our Department of Education because after the hurricanes of 2017, we didn't have sufficient um, schools that were still standing. And so the children went to school in shifts. So I'm wondering what the scores would be for the kids who had to go to school in the afternoon as opposed to the ones who were going in the morning. Um, I wonder if they've kept and seen if there's a difference. Many note to myself to check into that. See, that I might- love that you came on the show and you walked away with homework. I love that. <laughs> I, I love when that happens. And I, um, at your suggestion, I'm gonna think about uh, books and you said shea butters and wonderful <laughs> scented soaps and shampoos and yeah. apparently having someone uh, rub lotion on me if I'm having trouble getting to sleep. Am I close? That's part of it. I, you know, I don't know who's watching this, but you know, something else helps really well also, but I didn't want to, you know, discuss that. Okay. All right then. Um, Thank you for the time. I appreciate you making room in a very busy day when there's a lot going on in the world and making time for, for me and the 100 million or so people that uh, in North America that are having trouble sleeping. I'm grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. So we're going to take all of that massive package of information that we just got from Congresswoman Stacy Plaskett, and we are going to pass it through the scientific filter that belongs to our friend Dr. Michael Grandner from the University of Arizona. We'll do that in just a second. First, I want to uh, tell you about a special deal that we have arranged for bedheads, and a bedhead is a term of endearment that I use for all the people who have subscribed to the show and who listen to the show or watch the show on a regular basis. By the way, we're on YouTube now, in case you didn't know that, Um, and so Uh, New episodes are always getting posted to YouTube unless we have the occasional episode where we didn't record video. Uh, But those are uh, on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that. You can subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app, whatever that happens to be. All the links and everything you need are on our website at thesnoozebutton.com. So you can get all of that there. But thesnoozebutton.com is the website that we use for all the stuff we do. And, you know, I'm involved in a whole bunch of other web-related projects outside of the snooze button, but job number one for me is always signing up the web hosting, wherever it is that uh, the project is going to be. Web hosting is always job one. There's always one company that I use for that. They're called Nexus Web Hosting. Well, I've arranged a special deal for you with Nexus. Here's what it is. If you go to the website neilsentme.com, 
neilsentme.com. It will take you to Nexus, but it will take you to Nexus in such a way that you are set up to get a special discount code that's not available to everybody. You can type in build now as the coupon code and get 25% off your first three months. And the price is already super low, you know, because my pockets are not all that deep. So I need all the help I can get. And what they've got is great managed WordPress hosting where there are technical nerds that keep their eye on things for you rather than you having to monitor your servers 24-7. They do all that stuff for you. They alert you when things are going on. They fix those things for you often before you even know that something went wrong. So again, neilsentme.com. It's exactly the same web hosting infrastructure that we use. I cannot recommend them highly enough. Okay, so I'm anxious to dive into this here with my friend, Dr. Michael Grander from the University of Arizona. Michael, hi. Hi, how are you doing? So, I'm good. We were, so we were presented with a lot of, uh, a lot of options there from uh, Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett about the things that she uses. So, um, here, to the best of my recollection, are the various things. And the reason that uh, I kind of consult with Michael on all of this when I get these tips from people is because in theory at some point or another I'm going to try all of these various sleep hacks out for myself track the data from my sleep take cognition tests uh, on a regular basis and see what things are having an impact so she was talking about hot let, let's go through all of these one by one she was talking about things like hot showers with specially scented soaps and shampoos and lotions and shea butters and all those sorts of things um and i guess that comes at it from two different perspectives there's the scent aspect because a lot of people will swear mm -hmm. by things like lavender or whatnot and then there's the hot shower part of it too so let's unpack that what is what's the efficacy of that or what does the science say about that as a sleep aid. Yeah, so I would say there's actually, you identified two elements, but there's, I would actually say there's four elements in, in that Ooh. description. So the first okay. one, first one being the hot shower element. So this is something that people have been talking about for decades. There's not a ton of data on this, but there is a little showing that a very hot bath or shower uh, late at night before bed might actually help with sleep for, for maybe a couple reasons. One reason might be like, heat is relaxing to muscles, but from a circadian perspective is, is I think the main part of the story. And that's that um, by, by being in a really hot bath or shower, you're raising your peripheral temperature because it's, it's hot. And so what, hap what that might end up doing is as soon as you get out, um, your core body temperature, it sets your core body temperature up to drop a little faster than it normally would. And the, mm. the dropping of core body temperature is a sleep signal. Um, because that's when we start getting sleepy, when our core body temperature starts dropping, and the middle of the night is when it's lowest. So, so taking a hot bath or shower, something a lot of people do at night, um, it might be relaxing, but it also might have this circadian effect of helping sort of hack your body temperature rhythm a little bit to prep you for sleep a little better. So that's that's the hot shower element. The other <laughs> element is the is the sense. Um, and there's little to no data on sense and sleep. There's a couple of, of small, as far as I remember, not super well controlled studies. I mean, these aren't, there's no big pharma company selling these things. So to do these sorts of studies well could be expensive. Um, sure. But there are, there are, there is some data on, I think, like lavender. Um, I don't know to what degree it's a biological effect versus just a psychological one. Um, but either way, I mean, if it does help people relax, that might be helpful. Um, I don't okay. know. I don't know what it's doing for sleep, but if it might help you relax, and that's another thing. Um, 
The third element is um, is the tactile, where you're talking about like sort of like lotions and like rubbing stuff on. So actually, the tactile element uh, might also be relaxing. Again, not really a lot of data here. Um, it also means there's no not a lot of data saying that it's a bad thing. Um, but sure. but there's just not a lot of data. But I can imagine that for people who are stressed, there is quite a bit of data on relaxation and the ability to relax. So. The data on relaxation and sleep are not what a lot of people think it is. So most people assume that um, relaxation and, and ability to fall asleep go hand in hand. And it turns out they really kind of don't. Um, that they are related, they're cousins, uh, but not twins. Right. Um, and so, and so um, relaxation can definitely help with sleep, especially people who are wound up and having a hard time detaching. And relaxation is an active process. Um, and could be mental, physical, or both. So mental relaxation are things like meditations and imagery exercises and things like that to, to, to wrangle sort of the thoughts and feelings in your head and sort of sort of bring them back down. Physical relaxation would be like stretches and massages and, and muscle relaxation that could help reduce the tension in your body too. And so okay. if there's an element here of relaxation, then that might be helping. Um, uh, it, it's important to note that relaxation alone won't fix insomnia, but we're not talking about insomnia. We're just talking about improving the ability to wind down and get to sleep. Um, so, okay. so I think that might be a third element. Um, and the fourth element is one that's, that's a lot more subtle in here, but I think might be powerful. And it's the element of the routine. Um, where sure. if you have, if you smell the same thing, uh, nice relaxing scent and have a routine. I mean, even if you just have a routine where you spin around three times before getting into bed and you teach your body that like whatever this random, like whatever it is you do, unless it's like an activating thing, um, whatever it is you're doing while you're prepping to wind down and then you get into bed, your body learns. Your brain's a pattern recognition machine, remember. So it's recognizing this pattern of a bedtime routine. Any bedtime routine has this effect especially when it incorporates multiple senses in it. So you can have a thing that you do, like, for example, you know, you um, do a breathing exercise and then brush your teeth and you put on your PJs and you get under the covers and you turn off the like, and you have a routine that you do. When your body learns the routine, you do this with kids all the time. You teach them the routine before bed, so by the time you start the routine, the brain is gonna know what's coming next and it's gonna start prepping itself. It knows sleep is coming, so it, it aids the wind down process. So then if you take that routine and then pair it with other things that are tactile and sensory and smells, so what'll happen is if, if every time you're winding down and relaxing, you're smelling scent X, whatever it is, and then you fall asleep, smell scent X, you then you fall asleep, smell scent X, then you fall asleep. I'm not saying any particular scent might be better than any others, but if it's something sure. you like, then what happens is whenever you start smelling it, it'll start reminding you of sleep, uh, even subconsciously, and it can help you in that process. Um, just like the opposite can happen too, where um, this is, we were talking about, we've been talking about like stimulus control, where if you get into bed and and start thinking and thinking and thinking about stuff because you haven't given yourself time to wind down or whatever, and you do that over and over again, just being in bed gets your mind racing, you know? So like that, the, the, that environment can teach you. So that's, those are the four elements, I think, that, that she cobbled together there in, in, in a nice, cohesive way. There was, there's that circadian and relaxing effect of the warm bath. There's the re, it's very relaxation-focused. It was the relaxing effect of 
you know, whatever the, 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 the tactile sensation. I don't know if the smell is a component, but there's also the, the routine of it, the conditioning of it, that, that you have all these elements that go together and they fit together. And so they all work together to promote this, this sleep signal. That's fascinating. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, I think she made the leap from there to bourbon somehow. Ah, yeah. Now, I'm no scientist, but I've talked to enough people who do what you do for a living <laughs> that part of me thinks that's a horrible idea. Well, well, if you talk to, to sleep people um, and you listened, they would, it would probably be a reasonable thing to suspect that, yeah, that's not, that's not what you should do. But I will say that if she's talking about one serving of alcohol, yeah, uh, I would guess that um, all the stuff that we're talking when we talk about alcohol being bad for sleep, we're not usually talking about one serving of alcohol. One a glass. We're of talking wine. about going to bed drunk. Yeah, kind of pretty usually. I mean, if yeah. you're having one or two glasses of wine or one or two servings of alcohol, it's probably not going to disturb your sleep very much, unless you're very sensitive to it. Whatever disclaimer asterisk variability in the real world, but. One right. serving of alcohol, what it'll do, it might help with that relaxation process, and, and it'll be a little bit sedating. It might help you fall asleep a little faster. It might also make your sleep just a little shallower, but um, at one serving, I don't know that I would worry about that as a bad thing too much. And if it helps, and again, it's feeding into this de-escalation process of, you know, so what she's talking about is sort of starting out here and what are all the different mechanisms to end down here? Okay, this is interesting because this is something that's never, we've never talked about before, but the more I hear people talk about, so so you're talking about one serving of alcohol and it might help you wind down, it might make your sleep a little bit shallower. So, from a sleep doctor's perspective, which one's better? Eight hours of shallower sleep that was brought on by the glass or two of red wine or five and a half, six hours of regular sleep that you eventually got into after no red wine or anything like that and having a tough time relaxing and winding down. Is there, what's the trade-off there? Well, first I would say is like, I don't know, one or two glasses of wine won't take you from eight hours of shallow to, won't, won't make the difference between six hours of, of more solid sleep deprived sleep versus eight hours of shallow. That's, that's that's like say that's that's like saying is it better yeah, to take point. one Tylenol and have no pain versus like being in chronic pain? It's like well, all yeah. right, but but yeah, that okay. that said, the question you're asking is a good one. It's that it's that if it helps but also hurts a little, is that is that did you end up ahead? Was it a net gain or a net loss? Is really right. what, what you're asking, yeah. and and honestly at that like if you're talking about three or four. I would say you're, it'll, it's, it's much more likely to end up as a net loss. If you're talking about sure. one or two, I'd say it's much less likely to end up as a net loss. And, and, that, and the difference is probably going to be made by individual variability in how you process alcohol and how, how light of a sleeper you are and all those sorts of things. So, it's, so there's it, no one answer that applies to everybody. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, right. oh, but so if but, only that were true in the sleep world, right? If only like, yeah. and that's the thing that annoys me so much. And you know this because you and I have talked both on the show and off the show about this. There's so many things coming into my inbox about, oh, I guaranteed that this thing will fix you. And I'm like, no, no, there are no guarantees. It's messy. It's a very messy system for good reason. Yeah. It's messy because it adapts and it adapts to the environment, it adapts to what you throw at it. I mean, 
we our sleep schedule, our sleep environment, our our geographic location in the world is totally different than when our sleep evolved hundreds of thousands of years ago. And so it's so adaptable, but that's why it's messy because it is very adaptable and no one thing, I mean, it would be weird if one thing made a huge change because, and we haven't figured that out yet after 200,000 years of, of humanity, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and, and, fire, and, done. And, yeah, Wheel, right. done. Sleep, not so much. Right, right. So fire, fire, that fire is a perfect example. Something that changed everything and, and we figured it out early that that's what changes everything. Whereas, Whereas one uh, people have been drinking alcohol for thousands of years, and mm. and if it was that big of a deal that that a little bit of alcohol because remember older you know thousands of years ago the alcohol was much less strong, um, a if a little bit of alcohol did terrible things to health, we would have figured that out. Same thing with caffeine. If a little bit of caffeine did terrible things, you know we would have stopped doing it. But the truth is, sure. a little bit probably doesn't isn't that bad for some people. It might be. Um, but for some people, it's not. And so it's, yeah, probably at that level, it probably depends if you're very sensitive. I mean, I wouldn't say, hey, this is my advice for getting a little bit of sleep. Take a shot. But if you right. say, hey, I take a shot at night, most nights, but it's only one. And, you know, my, my health is okay. I don't have high blood pressure. Like, and my sleep isn't super disturbed about it. Is it. Should it be high on my list of things to worry about? I would say, yeah, there are probably things higher on that list. Fascinating. Okay. I'm, I'm hesitant to even get into the last point because, okay. look, you know, and people who listen or watch or whatever it is regularly know that the whole genesis of this project is, is a book. And the book and, 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 and Michael's role in the book is to weigh in on the science parts of so when, for example, Shalina Kennedy, who was on a couple of weeks ago, talks about the, the mental road uh, imagery that she uses of walking down a path and relaxing each body part and all these different things, um, Michael addresses the science behind that and whether yeah. or not it works. And then what I do is I march off and I try Shalina's method for a couple of weeks and I will report back to you what my data is and all that. Great. Um, and then, you know, we move on to another celebrity or high performing person. We figure out what they do. I go try that for two weeks. Well, <laughs> we, we get to point number three <laughs> in uh, Congresswoman Plaskett's list, which seemed to me, at least the way I heard it, was a reference to um, um, let's call it um, adult activities. There you go. That's a euphemism. Um, as, as being beneficial for sleep. Uh, certain things um, that are done in a bed that have nothing whatsoever to do with sleep. That was kind of, if I was picking up what she was putting down, that was what she laid out for us. And I'm hesitant to even get into this because I am terrified of having to write a chapter in a book about the two weeks that I spent having sex every night before I went to sleep. But here we are. Is there yeah. any data out there about sex and sleep there's a little um and and it's interesting you bring it up it's also because it's so uh, on the one hand it's something that i think a lot of people have thought about because it, it's part of a part of the human experience but at the sure. same time it's it's got a lot of cultural baggage attached to it in terms of talking about things i mean you know, from a from a cultural perspective, like there should be there should be no reason to be afraid to talk about it. But you know, we we're in a weird culture, and and it is what it is. 
So well, it's that, like when it's like the episode last week with Chris Winter on it, where he said he said everybody thinks that everything they do in bed, whether it's sleep or sex, is normal until they talk to somebody about it and they find out it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so what I would say to that is, I think the fact that anecdotally, ta- talking to people, um, you you hear this often that that people fall asleep afterwards and and it's very you know they get very relaxed afterwards and there's this whole literature about like oxytocin and 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 relaxing and and hormones and endorphins and all this stuff um and so there's all of that which which is probably a net positive for sleep um but you could imagine though like the data is probably thin for two reasons one because um, it's a hard thing to study logistically, um, and also it's a hard thing to study ethically and culturally. I mean, ideally, if this were a technique like muscle relaxation, we'd recruit sure. people off the street, randomize them into two groups, say, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and then see what happens. And then um, you can't really do that for this. Um, at least getting it through an ethics board is going to be a little tough. Um, but one thing that th- there is a liter- there's a little bit of literature on this showing that it might help with sleep. Um, but one thing that that's an important caveat in this whole thing is, um, first of all, are you by yourself or are you with somebody? Because like the the, sure. the physiologic process is, is is actually a bit different. And then um, more interestingly to me is the question of who are you with? And there's actually a literature on this in terms of um, who you're sleeping with and who you are next to, and, and that idea of, of partnership and companionship. So, so uh, one of my colleagues, Wendy Troxell, she's been doing this work for years. And I remember years ago, years and years ago, um, hopefully not that long ago, but when we were, when we were both sort of um, coming up at, at a similar time, you know, I'll never forget that she, we were talking at, at a conference and she's like, you know, all of sleep research about biological sleep research takes place in a laboratory with adults sleeping by themselves in an artificial situation. And she said, she said, yeah. the ar- we talk a lot about the fact that it's an artificial situation with the being hooked up. She's like, but what we don't talk about is human adults usually don't sleep by themselves. Right. Um, and, and when you put someone else in the room, it changes things. And by isolating people and studying them, are we, are we creating a situation where we're changing what we're studying and, and, and all our data need to be filtered through that? And so she, over the next bunch of years, she actually did a lot of work on, on what happens like when you're sleeping with people. And one of the big things that came out is, depends on who you're sleeping next to. If you have a good relationship and if you're comfortable with that person and if, if, if them being there can give you, gives like emotional comfort and support, like that actually might be great for sleep quality, even if they might move around more and make some noise and actually make your sleep a little more shallow. Sure. Objectively. But if you ask people, they'll say they slept better. Um, whereas if you're sleeping next to someone that you don't have a good relationship with, um, then it, it makes things worse. Where now you have like this, the arousal centers and the vigilance is up and, and the safety sensors are off. And so, um, sure. so I, I would imagine that um, if you're, if you're, you know, what does it do? My guess would be it probably helps a little based on the little data that's out there, and you know, the anecdotal reports of like everybody. But um, how exactly and why and to what degree? Not sure. But I bet it has to do with who you're with. 
it's interesting too because Wendy's been on the show. Wendy was on the show in season one, uh, where if you want to look it up on the website or in your podcast app, uh, it's an episode that we called "Please Don't Make Us Call It a Sleep Divorce." <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah. that was that was the term that was hot at the time when Wendy was on the show. People were calling it a sleep divorce. The idea of you know sort of the Fred and Wilma or the Rob and Laura Petrie kind of marriage where we watched them on those TV shows and they slept in separate beds. The husband and the wife slept in separate beds, um, which then came to be called a sleep divorce, which, you know, in our own case, in our family, it it helped my wife sleep better because she yeah. wasn't dealing with a guy with a periodic limb <laughs> movement index of 82 um, lying beside her. But you're you're right in the in the logistics and the ethics of it because there's so many things going through my head the timing i guess of the hormonal forgive my use of this term yeah. release yeah um would prop the timing is probably really delicate so it's not even like you could say to the to participants who volunteer to be part of the study okay have sex and then don't waste time on the afterglow get in the car and drive to the sleep lab like right. okay so your results are already screwed then right. pardon right. the use you've, of that you've term. missed the window <laughs> you've missed the window it's not like you're going to have people have sex at the sleep lab yeah. um because one, I, as far as I know, the, and I write about this in the book in, in the chapters that have already been leaked out on the internet, you've heard me say this if you listen to those chapters, the mattress in a sleep lab, is, it's, here's how I compare it. You take a sheet of cardboard, <laughs> actually that's it, you take a sheet of cardboard, that's what the mattress in a sleep lab feels like. Uh. Um, so there's that, so you're not gonna have them have sex in a sleep lab, but then on the ethical side of it, becomes the whole question and don't worry women who are watching or listening I got your back right here it precludes that the sex is sex that you enjoy right and whether it's sex that you enjoy because it's good or and this gets into the darker side of the whole thing whether it's sex that's wanted right because there are so many spouses out there and I'm not going to get gender specific in the interest of just being fair um, there are so many spouses out there that are having uh, marital relations that they really wish they weren't, mm -hmm. but they're doing it for whatever reason they are. And so then you go down that whole road as well. So if there's, look, I know that some of the people that watch and listen to the show are like Michael, you know, fellow sleep nerds. Um, if you can come up with a way to do a study that actually makes sense and checks off all the boxes of, ethics and whatever else that'd be cool more power to you because that's data that would probably be useful i just have no idea how somebody goes about studying that like because you got cameras you got you know you got the fact that it takes what an hour to put all the electrodes on so again <laughs> missed your window unless you're going to have try to have sex with the electrodes on hey breaking news <laughs> not sexy not yeah. a good look you can't move around too much either I mean, and, no, because you, you get that big wire box yeah. thing. It's uh, yeah, the, the, so yeah. So I mean, what, what, and what you highlight is, is the important part of that that question is that for a lot of people, it actually might be a good thing. Uh, we don't know a ton about it, and one of the reasons why it's complicated to study there's sort of the ethics, and it's, it's you know, it's that it's an uncomfortable issue isn't you know like we deal with all kinds of uncomfortable stuff, but because it's it's the pursuit of trying to find an answer, but. What I think you highlight is that it's actually a very complicated question. There, there are many steps on the ladder from where we are and where the answer is. And it's not just once, it's not just a simple study design. There's lots of things that would color the results to make sure that, that we're seeing what we think we're seeing. That 
which is why, which is another reason why this work isn't really done. I mean, there's lots of uncomfortable research that gets done. I mean, people do research on knee replacements and things, and those certainly aren't comfortable either. Sure. Um, but I think the, one of the main reasons why this work isn't really done is because it's it's actually tricky, and, and you're and you're and you're messing with forces that that are really hard to sort of wrangle and, and wrap our head around that we don't quite understand yet. And, and there's lots of things that can color this. And I think that's an important point. But back to the, you know, back to the story, you know, you're, if you're talking about somebody who's in a relationship with somebody and this is sort of part of what they do and this is part of how they connect with each other and you get the physiologic benefits afterwards, um, there's a reason why when we talk about stimulus control, you know, we talk about use the bed only for sleep yep. and sex. Sex is fine, yep. you know, because it's usually usually in bed. That it's. I mean, some people don't do it in bed, and they do it all kinds of places, and that's fine too. Uh, I don't judge, but but doing it in bed is 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 never. It's it's almost never seen as an enemy of sleep, as opposed right. to watching TV or being on screens or even sometimes reading, even though that's probably fine most of the time. But no, I, I've, I don't think I can think of one time when someone said, whatever you do, don't have sex in bed. Do that somewhere else. True. Yeah. And and uh, in the interest of not judging, there are people who maybe even use screens when they're... Anyway, we, this is <laughs> such a bad road that you and I are going <laughs> not, down. I'm not going to go down that one. No. Oh, I feel like there's all... <laughs> but, but you know what? I almost feel like this is a broader conversation than yeah. just you and I. Um, and and uh, offline, I, I, I got something to throw at you that's percolating okay. up here right now. Okay. And you know the twisted ways my mind works. <laughs> but um, okay, so... I've got sort of some marching orders from Congresswoman okay. Plaskett. I, I, I mean, that's that's six weeks worth of stuff, uh, even just in my one conversation with her. So maybe I'm going to have to space her things out just a little bit. Um, but I, I appreciate you weighing in with the science part of all this, Michael. I'm glad I can lean on you for all this. I'm glad you had time for it. Thank you. No, thanks. Thanks for, for uh, including me in this. It's fun to talk about, especially some of these areas that are right on the edge of what we know, but are right in the middle of what people are doing. And, and I think it's important to highlight that a lot of this stuff that's out there, it's not that we know it doesn't work, it's that we just don't know a lot about it formally. So it'll be interesting to, to see, well, what aspects of it do we know something about? And then how can we stretch our boundaries a little bit? And there you go. Another one in the books for the Snooze Button podcast. Thanks for being here with us. Next week on the show, we explore the art of the nap with Dr. Sarah Mednick. We get into uh, all things short sleep related. And do naps mess up your sleep? I thought they did. Or do they? Or are they beneficial? Is there a sweet spot for how long of a nap and the circumstances in which you should take on a nap? All that stuff coming up on next week's episode. And two weeks from now, astronaut Nicole Stott answers the question for us. How did you fall asleep the night before you became just the 10th woman in history to walk in space? All that coming up on the Snooze Button Podcast. Till we get together next week, my name's Neil Headley. Hey, get some sleep, would you?